As a rugby player, he was tougher than complex quantum physics and more courageous than a wounded lion. He captained the Springboks 18 times and played 39 tests at a time when Bok rugby was in a deep state of flux and going through coaches as quickly as Cheslin Colby goes through defences. The enduring image of Corne Kricker is one of a bloodied and bruised but never cowed player. He played every game as if it were his last, sometimes, by his own admission, stepping over the line, whether in Western Province, Stormers or Springbok colours. Since retirement, he has carved out a successful business career and stays fit on his mountain bike. Cornet also keeps a close eye on rugby from the outside and is still passionate about Western Province and the Springboks. He joins me, Craig Ray, on the Maverick Sports Podcast today to talk about the past, the present and the future of South African rugby. Welcome to the show, Corne. Thanks very much, Craig. Nice to chat to you. How do you feel when you hear that? It's been a year since the Springboks won the World Cup. And who would have thought that most of that year they would have spent on the sidelines thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, well, I actually got some goosebumps when I heard that try again. You know, it was it was a game-changing try for, for South Africa. And um, who would have thought that we'd win the World Cup and then play no rugby for a very long time after that? So, yeah, crazy times for sure. It's been a frustrating year for, for rugby and there's a lot of uh, questions around what's going to happen. As a former Springbok, you've uh, endured some tough times. And I suppose as a player, you had many months out of the game through various knee injuries and so on. You know, that's, I guess that's an individual thing. But uh, most of, well, all South African rugby players have been through sort of almost the equivalent of a collective catastrophic injury this year. How would they have sort of coped with it, do you think? How would you have coped with it as a player? Yeah, look, I think those, those eight months... Two twice actually. I, I had one ACL on the one leg and then one ACL on the other leg, and it was pretty much six to eight months rehab. And I was thinking about Andre Pollard and Archis Neyman the other day, you know, about what lies ahead for them. And I'm, I'm just, I'm very glad I'm not them. You know, at their age, it's probably okay, but the older you get, the more difficult it becomes. You know, the guys that are married and that got, have got children. You know, they would have that support, but the, the individual guys, the single guys, the young guys, you know, they, they'd be very frustrated by what's happening. The collective bargaining agreement with the South African rugby players to shave 1.2 billion rand off the industry, that went pretty smoothly in terms of a negotiation. But I guess um, there's only so long this can go for, and the players do need to get back on the field, don't they? And, you know, for broadcast rights and money to come back into the game. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, the guys really do need to get back into the field and, and, on the one side, it could be a blessing in disguise to a lot of players. I think specifically about Sia Kulisi, who had a couple of months now to rest and not get raced back into to, to actually trying to get into play. So that was that's one positive. But the guys really do need to get back onto the field. And the big worry is that if you look at the injuries that we've had overseas, yeah. you know that if if they if they pile on more of those injuries here in South Africa, it might be a problem. You know because the British and Irish lines are pretty much eight months away from coming to South Africa next year. There's a big debate at the moment, Corne. You know because of the, how long it's taken South African rugby to get back into yeah you know, onto the field. And this weekend coming up uh, is the first 
games. Uh, we've got the four Super Rugby franchises playing against each other in, in friendlies, basically, to start the, the restarted season, if you like. Are we going to have enough time? Because the Rugby Championship is next on the agenda. Are, are the Springboks players who've got to be selected going to be in any shape to play against a team like the All Blacks? Look, I have no doubt that the All Blacks and Australia will be miles ahead of us. And, and it probably won't be our best championship, that's for sure. But that's in, in the big picture, that's slightly irrelevant. I think it's an opportunity for the coaches and the staff to, to actually test out young players and to, to get guys on the field that probably never would got back onto the field. So it's a, it's a tough one and, and we are running out of time. But the quicker we get back onto the field and get, try and get the guys into some sort of contact shape, that'll be fantastic. There's going to be a lot of challenges around it if they do go. And let's just work on the assumption they're going for the moment, although there is a school of thought the Springboks might not go. We'll touch on that shortly. But uh, let's work on the assumption they're going to the Rugby Championship. It starts on November the 7th in Australia in a bio bubble. The test match window that World Rugby set aside opens on November the 1st. There's got to be a two-week quarantine period because of COVID-19 in Australia. That means... Ideally, you'd want to get your players to Australia around about October the 20th or so. That's not going to happen with the overseas-based box because the, their clubs won't release them until the, t- the test window opens. How, how does <laughs> Jacques Ninaba overcome this? He's going to have to take 50 players in total. They might have to come at different times or something like that. Yeah, I think it's, it's a tough one for him, but also an exciting one because it's his first sort of test matches in charge and and he'll he'll be super excited about getting some young talent into Australia um, and letting them play for the first week or two and then obviously when they can bring the bring the big guns in from from overseas who, who by that time would have played quite a bit of rugby so they'd probably be in better shape than than the, the current guys here in South Africa who haven't taken contact for a long time yeah, that is a big issue. I mean, there are the players are playing well. Faf de Klerk's having a great, great time for sale at the moment. But as you said, we've had these big injuries to Snaeman and Pollard. Pollard's a massive injury. I mean, you know, he was so crucial. I think probably, Corne, and maybe the unsung hero of the World Cup campaign in many ways because he, he just slotted those goals when they mattered. He was cool under pressure. Can the Springboks sort of cope without him? He's become so pivotal to the box side. Now that he has that injury, they have to cope without him. And then I think that's that's often a blessing in disguise because if you rely on one guy to win your games, you know, then at that at that point, you know, it becomes a problem. Mm. So it's massively important now that they they look for the second Andre Pollard. And I don't to be honest, there's nobody close to him. But, you know, his style of play and the fact that we had two wings score two tries in a World Cup final. You know, shows that we have we have an attacking flyer, a flyer who actually attacks the line. He commits defences, and and when you when you have a flyer that takes the ball flat, comes onto the line a little bit like Larkham used to do for Australia. You know, it really does make a difference because that it holds the defence, and they and and then the gaps open up on the outside. So, I really enjoy his style of play. He's abrasive. He he can defend. He's actually got very few weak points. You know, if if anything, his his goal kicking is is at suspect at times you know but mm. in the world cup he was solid and 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 yeah like you said maybe not even a unsung hero he was one of our heroes for sure 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, the other theory is, Corner, that the, the Springboks, and I've heard from some good sources that they're really considering not going to the rugby championship for various reasons. One of them is player welfare. The players won't be ready. I mean, they might only have played two games, really, or three maximum, some of the players. You know, going into, against an all-black side and Wallaby side that have had three months of their own super rugby competitions. That's uh, That's one reason, player welfare. The other reason is... Sort of the commercial side of it, which you probably understand from business, the brand could get completely damaged if the world champion Springboks go and lose by 60 points or something to the All Blacks because they're just so undercooked and inexperienced. And that could be more harmful and more detrimental to the Springboks than not going. You know, what do you think of that sort of theory of thought? Yeah, look, I think it's hard to, to damage the Springbok brand. You know, it's, to be honest... I was involved in test matches where we lost by big margins and that damage is only as, as long as that memory lasts really about the loss. Mm. I, I think if we send a young team over, it's going to be expected that they probably will take a bit of a hiding. But it's a young team and the All Blacks will be worrying about th- that young team in four years' time when the next World Cup comes around. Those guys will be the guys that are experienced and they've got all the all the talent and all the experience. You know, so... I don't think you can ever make a bad decision. The only thing is player welfare, you know, and that they might be undercooked. But you know what? The only way to get cooked is to, <laughs> to is to to actually go and play. You know, you, you can't. There's no other way yeah. to get match fit than to play. That's it. You know, I saw that when I with my big injuries as well. It's eight months of absolute pain and hard work and you get onto the field and you and you feel the most unfit you've ever felt because you're just not contact fit. That's it. You know, there's only one way to get contact fit and that's actually to take contact. That's it. No problem. How long did it take you typically? How many games do you think, you know, you you needed to get back to that, that full match fitness after those long injuries? Yo, of playing, I would say at least four to five games. So let's call it two months mm-hmm. if you play every every weekend. But it was at least four, yeah, four to six games of, of getting contact fit. You know, in the beginning of the season, you know, when a guy stands on your toe, it's flip and sore. You know, by the end of the season, you don't even feel it when a guy stands on your toe. So <laughs> your, your pain levels go up. You, your, your ability to handle pain, you know, is, is just amazing. You know, so on that side, I think the quicker the guys get into that contact, the better. Yeah. And look, they're going to get into it now. We've got a competition coming up. I guess everyone's been scrambling how to sort of, you know, make make some sort of money out of it, make make rugby viable again. We've got a, a sort of a hybrid super rugby curry cup coming up that's going to be played through the summer. You know, I think that's great for, for rugby to be playing. But I, I suppose as a player, you, you're looking at the long-term effects. If these guys play solidly right through Christmas, January, February, and then next season, let's say, is something fairly normal. Yeah. By, by July next year, they're going, to be, they're going to be broken, aren't they? Yeah, they will be. And, and I can tell you, I'd, I've done that. I've played, a, I've played a Super Rugby Curry Cup, then gone overseas to play for Northampton, and I played 28 games on the trot after a Super Rugby and a Curry Cup season. Jeez. So I can tell you, it's, 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 you can only do one or two of those and then that's game over, you know. So they, they're going to have to be managed at some point. And, and, but that's not a difficult thing to do unless the guys overseas with the big overseas contracts get, get forced to play, you know. It's manageable if, if South African rugby controls their players in, in, in a way that they should. 
But if we get back to like a sort of a curry cup and a sort of a this and half of a that, but it goes right through, you know, I think this the 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 coronavirus COVID nineteen has really pushed South African rugby to the edge, mm. and I think that's a good thing because you cannot continue to run things in a way that tries to keep everybody happy, you know, and and that's what South African rugby was trying to do. They were trying to keep all the unions happy, all fourteen unions happy, and they were trying to you know create opportunities for everybody but you've got to get to a point where you say guys it's not working yeah you know let, let's go back to five curry cup teams that's it then there's a league underneath that where you compete and it's a promotion relegation it's the top five and then and then you work from there you know you but you you can't keep everybody happy if you try and keep everybody happy it does, it, you're dealing with with amateur unions around the country, you're dealing with <laughs> a- amateur administrators. You're dealing with, yeah. and you can't you can't accommodate everybody. It's absolutely impossible. If you want to run a professional game, you need to be harsh. You need to be fair, and you need to say, guys, this is it. Mm. These are the these are the top five unions. These are the these are the competitions we're going to play. These are the teams that are going to be involved, and there's a promotion relegation. If you're good enough, and you allow businessmen to come in and and buy. Seventy-five uh, percent of your union, and he pumps money into whoever. Let's call it the Pumas, and the Pumas win the bottom league, and they and they play a promotion relegation against the Western Province, and they beat Western Province hands down, and they make it into the top group. Well, well then, good for you, you know. Yeah. And I think that's where we need to get to. That's where we need to get to. That's where South African rugby needs to get to. That's where the policies need to be made that business owners can actually buy. 75% a controlling share in a union and and that that'll change our rugby forever but it's hard, it's a hard one because the turkeys aren't going to vote for christmas well, you, you've touched on a subject that really is close to my heart, and I've been sort of writing about this, and I don't know if you saw my players came out swinging at amateur administrators this week. My players is the rugby trade union that represents you know 717 players in this country. And basically they were saying, yeah. you know, kings have gone into liquidation, the Boerlant have previously liquidated, the Falker are going into liquidation, Western Province have liquidated before and then formed a new company a few years back. Yeah. And, and, and what they're saying is it's, it's massively catastrophic for the players whose livelihoods are affected, yet these amateur officials then just establish a new company and the next day and are back in business and they have all those same sort of voting powers on the Saru General Council. They have all those powers that they enjoy, yet they can't run their own businesses, but they make massive decisions about the direction of the Springboks. And, yeah. and this is what I've been saying and what you've touched on, the turkeys voting for Christmas. Amateur elected officials are a hangover from the amateur days. And, and the system includes them unfortunately or fortunately depends on your perspective but we've seen that rugby is a is a, is a game that is contracting it cannot expand in and certainly COVID has has driven that home yeah and investors want to come into the game but they don't want to be told how to spend their money by a club chairman from somewhere in the northern suburbs of Cape Town or wherever and this is the problem we face isn't it that's our biggest problem in South African rugby. And if you look at diversity, you know, a strength in diversity, if you look at that team that we that won the World Cup pretty much a year ago right now, and if you look at how diverse that team was, if you get, get that diversity to work together, we are pretty much unstoppable. 
But if if they start working against each other and and people get dragged down rather than people getting pulled up, it's a, it's a, it's a problem, you know. And and there's no doubt South African rugby needs to go the private route where a guy like Jan Rupert or Patrice Mutsepe can buy a union, seventy five percent of it. He can appoint whoever he wants, professional people in professional positions who know exactly how to run a multi-million rand business, which every single union is, mm. and then run it run it that way. You know, then I tell you what, a lot of players will not go overseas because at the moment, the players that are at the smaller amateur unions, they take the opportunity to go and play overseas because why would you worry about earning a salary next weekend or not, you know? Rather go overseas, earn little bit less but with a rand pound exchange it's probably even more yeah you know and and it's and at least every weekend you know you secure every month you're going to get your salary and you don't have to worry about the the company being liquidated so yeah it really is catastrophic and it, and it's at a it's at a tipping point where very very hard decisions need to be made you know you look at western province rugby is exactly the same you know if hard decisions need to be made they need to be made. And sometimes, you know, I see the guy from Investec resign from the Western Province board. Yeah. An unbelievable guy. I've met him a couple of times, you know, and he's, he, re, he resigned. And, and, and I sent him a message to say, sometimes a, sometimes a ship needs to sink before it can be salvaged. Yeah. As harsh as it is, you know, that, that that's the reality. So, like you said earlier, you know, I'm still incredibly passionate about Western Province rugby, and we should be one of the, the top, unions in the world, not only in South Africa. You know, we should be one of the top unions in the world. We turn our talent in this province every single year. Every single year, you know, our talent gets sent right around the world, never mind to the northern side of our country. So, mm. you know, there's no reason why if, if the right people are involved with, with the right intentions who who really care about Western Province rugby and the future of Western Province rugby, they, we could be no doubt, one of the strongest unions in the world. Well, let's just talk about Western Province Rugby for a moment because they are the big uh, thing. Investec offered to buy Newlands. They were going to pay 110 million rand and then take over the development. And at the back end, Western Province Rugby would get about 5% of the turnover. That was the deal on the table, broadly speaking. That wasn't acceptable to the current leadership of Western Province or certain parts of the current leadership of Western Province. And they went out and found a new buyer uh, long story short, Western Province Rugby are going to be 50-50 partners in de- redeveloping Newlands, which yeah, worries me because what does Western Province Rugby know about property development? It seems to me that that's moving away from the core business, which they're battling to run as it is. Subsequent to that, a potential investor from the United States has offered $6 million to buy a controlling stake, 51% in the business arm of Western Province, the Stormers essentially, and the professional arm of the rugby. And that's and that's not going down well with those amateur officials that we spoke about at club level because they want to keep control. And if an investor comes in, and even with 51%, they will have the deciding vote on the board. And that's obviously not sitting down well with a lot of amateur officials. You know, I fear for Western Province's future. I know the, the official line will always be, well, we, we're doing it in the best interests of rugby. But there can't be too many sugar daddies wanting to put money into rugby in, the, in these times. And, you know, every offer's got to be considered seriously. Yeah, hundred percent. If if somebody comes along and he's serious and he's and he's got dollars in his pocket, you listen, and you 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 take what you can get because in the long term that will be good for rugby. You know, there's no doubt. And if it's a if they want a controlling stake, give them the controlling stake. Make sure that this union 
continues in 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 the way that it's been in the past, where it's, it just churns out talent year after year after year. Yeah, you know, it's it's a little bit like a, a great college in Bloemfontein. You know, it's it's except that there's eight or ten schools in in the in the Western Province that just churn out talent. You know, so I again I also fear that that if it's about personal vendettas, if it's it's about people being proud about their past and what they've done and and not letting go, you know, it's going to be difficult. Mm. You know, it's it's going to be difficult for anybody to get in and make a difference. I suppose playing devil's, devil's advocate a bit, Corner, is, uh, is $6 million, call it plus minus 100 million rand, is that a good deal? I mean, uh, let's look at it from maybe Western Province rugby side. Do, do they feel that's undervalued? Uh, and on what basis do they undervalue that? You see, the the, the problem is the 100 million is, is, is not a bad deal, except that a Western province has a hundred million debt. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, every single cent they're going to get is going to go to pay off their debt. Then they, then they at zero. Yeah. So, if you look at that, you know, and it's nobody else's fault except the people that are there that that, that they've got a hundred million rands worth of debt. Yeah. You know, so if you look at Western Province Rugby, they're the only union that owns the the stadium outright. If you look at the Sharks, the Bulls. All of those stadiums are fifty percent owned or more by by the local municipality. Yeah, Newlands is one hundred percent owned by Western Province Rugby. If you look at the properties that 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 Western Province Rugby has, which are now in the, the in the hands of Flight, the developer, as surety for the loan. Exactly. So that's Brookside. They've got stick that property up against the mountain is one of the most beautiful properties in Cape Town, mm. one of the most beautiful cities in the world, etc., etc. You can carry you can carry on, and there's there's a list of properties that they they own that could be developed and and as I said to you, never mind the talent that comes out of here. If if the union is run by real businessmen who understand business, who who. Business is number one. If you're making money, then you can find somebody else to run the rugby side of it. But if you're not making money, you know, nobody can come there to help you run the rugby. So yeah. I think that's where we need to get to, is to get somebody in there who runs it like a proper business. And it is a professional arm. When you say it's professional, there's a professional arm that's actually been run by the amateur clubs. So so that's the difficulty and it's not we're, we're not unique in, in, in the Western Cape, it's the South African rugby system. And the the difference is with the Bulls and the Sharks, they have much less clubs that, that in, in their in their respective provinces. In, in Western province we have over hundred clubs now. So so you have over a hundred clubs, some of them with massive numbers, some of them with very small numbers, but they're all trying to have a say in Western Province rugby, which which isn't a sustainable way. No, exactly. There's got to be somewhere where the buck stops. And that's what uh, Marco Mazzotti, the American investor, was saying, you know, ultimately there's got to be one guy that makes the final decision. And he wants that to be his consortium himself or whoever he appoints as, as the person in charge. Well, this one's going to probably run and run for a few weeks, Corne, but I think it's a, it's probably a good case study for the, the whole of South African rugby. We know that the Bulls with Rupert and Motsepi, they've put some money in. They own 74.9%, I think, of the Bulls. They're going that way, and the Sharks and the Lions are still... Well, the Lions are almost run by Altman Alice's num- money as well. So even so, they've got a private sort of um, investor there. Exactly. Uh, 
uh, and that's the way it's going. And I think by consolidating our forces down to four, maybe six teams totally, taking away the disbursements from the small unions or the massive disbursements that the small unions get from the broadcast money will make a smaller player pool, but it will, I think, make it more competitive and therefore a better player pool. No doubt. You know, and, and you can never keep a good man down. You know, so if, if a guy is really talented, He's, he's going to come through the system somewhere. Yeah. And if he doesn't come through the system, yeah, he might come through the system in a club in, in Ireland or England or France or Wales. He'll come through the system. And, and if he doesn't play for them, for, for their country, we can still pick him for the Springboks. So I don't know what people are scared about. You know, I don't know what, uh, what they fear if somebody from the outside comes in and runs it as a business. I, I really don't see what the big fear is. I think it's a fear of losing power. Yeah. And I think that's that's a big problem. And and just uh, briefly, I mean, we as I said earlier, we've got 717 players on the sort of my players books. Now, in theory, more than half of those guys can't be considered full-time professional rugby players. Yeah. There's just not enough money to go around. Yeah. I mean, we need to get it down to maybe 180, 200 players, I would say, maximum, yeah. who are playing full-time professional rugby in this country. And I know that's going to hurt a lot of people, but yeah. the reality is that's what the market can sustain. And and those players that are on the fringes could go and try their luck overseas, you know, in the in the in the smaller clubs in France. And you know who's kind of recruiting big time is Russia, yeah. funnily enough. And a lot of South Africans are going to Russia. Yeah. And especially at a younger age, you're coming through their system because they're in the sevens, they're in the Olympic program now. Yeah. And yes, we will lose a lot of talent, but as you say, the really good ones will have more to fight for, yeah. Bigger slice of pie in South Africa. Exactly. And they'll be looked after properly. You know, the most important thing is if, if it's not sustainable, whatever model there is, if it's not sustainable over the long period of time. As a rugby player, you've got 12 years, I'd say, max. Mm. You know, there's some guys are freaks and they play 14 and 15 years. But let's call it your 12 years that you're pretty much at your prime. There's no doubt guys will go for security. There's no doubt guys will go for the pound. They'll try and make sure that they, you know, really look after them and their families and their future. So you can never stop the guys going overseas. What you want to try and do is you want to keep as much talent as possible here so that the domestic competitions are good so that the the people actually want to go and watch the matches and that you you create a strong local competition like the Curry Cup's always been very, very strong, very proud. Everybody's very proud about their union, but, but they mustn't work against each other. They must work together, you know, the, for the better of South African rugby. What's good for South African rugby, that's, the, that's what the steps that need to be taken, you know, so... Gone are the days of trying to please everybody. Now it's hard. I, I think hopefully coronavirus has pushed everybody over the edge and said, well, you either liquidate or you come with the system that we're going with. You know, So yeah. the only one union that I really do feel sorry for is the cheaters because they often are the ones who get lost in the in – the, it used to be the big five, now it's four. I hear what, I hear what you're saying because of Grey College and because of the, the production line, but I, I was having this argument with someone the other day, or well, not argument, but discussion, and, and, and they sort of raised the point. But I said, but, you know, if you think about it, the Cheetahs are a production line, but why has the actual Cheetahs team made one Super Rugby playoff in its existence if it's such a 
producer of talent. So clearly yeah. it produces talent, but the actual free state team at, at a super rugby level has not been good enough. And maybe they are unlucky, but maybe they deserve what they get as well. In a sense, I think they'll always be the support team, if I can call it that. You know, If you look at when they put guests together, it was the Cheetahs and the Lions together. It was an absolute mess if you think about it now, because it was two different cultures <laughs> that you tried to blend together. Yeah. But, you know, maybe in a promotion relegation match, every now and then they'll beat one of the top four. And they might get that opportunity to play then in that competition. But if they're not good enough, they're going to get kicked out again. You know, so that's what I like about that promotion relegation. I really, I played in England and, and when I was with Northampton, we were in the bottom three for most of the season and we won two crucial games. One against Leicester was Martin Johnson's last game. The stadium was packed to the rafters because it was Everybody knew there was it's life or death. That's it. You play, you playing for survival, and you see how devastated guys are when they go down, mm. and you see how the you see the elation when people go up. Yeah, you know, and and that's it. That's what we must do. We must play a promotion relegation. It mustn't be if your union votes for my union, and that if this happens, then you can be in the curry cup. No. Rubbish. And there must also be consequences for being mediocre, right? Exactly. If you if you're the worst team, then you've got to face a playoff, and you fa- you face losing losing your future. Look at the English Premier League football. Exactly. If those bottom three teams lose a hundred million pounds a year. They go down. Boom. That's it. Gone. And you, and and you you got to fight to get back in there. And and then then you really do fight. Then you do really do put the right people in the right places to make sure that you make the right decisions and that you play a great brand of rugby or football and you get back into the top league. That's it. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't be a guarantee for anybody and, and you should pay the price if you know, if you are mediocre. Last sort of parting shot is uh, it looks like South Africa's top teams are out of super rugby anyway, and they're going to go to pro 14, which will become pro 16. We're going to it looks like we're aligning with Europe now at a provincial level as well, although the rugby championship will continue at, at test level. I, I, I kind of personally think that's maybe the best case scenario for South African teams, playing in better time zone provincially while still playing against the All Blacks and the Wallabies regularly at test level. What, what are your thoughts on that? In a way, I'm sad. I'm a, I'm a Southern Hemisphere supporter. Yeah. But if you look at logistically, it's, it's the thing that makes sense. And if you look at Rand, Dollar, Rand pound, Australian dollar, New Zealand dollar. It 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 doesn't make sense to go all the way there and and you're not sharing in the pound, you know. So I think it's a very very good thing in the long run to for South African rugby to be sustainable. I think the the Rand pound is probably going to be the future for us. Hopefully they they get it right and it brings our rugby up and not. And not pull it down, you know. And it's gonna. It, I, I think if we play the Bulls, Sharks, Lions, and and Stormers or Western Province in that in that competition, it's gonna be a very different ball game to what's happening right now, you know. So it's gonna take the whole competition to another level, which which I think will be really good. The only thing is, we're gonna start playing rugby the day before Christmas, uh, Boxing Day. <laughs> right through new year and you know how hot it gets in south africa so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how how we play out of a different season but that's 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 i think that's an easier thing to overcome than to 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 try and you know connect with australia and new zealand Cordae Cricket, thanks so much for your insights today. It's been fascinating. We could uh, do this again, and I'm sure we will at some time. But thanks for joining the Maverick Sports Podcast today. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me. 
This podcast is made possible by our Maverick Insiders. Please consider becoming part of our Maverick Insider community where for a nominal fee every month, you are supporting quality independent journalism. You also get some cool benefits such as Uber vouchers and engagement with our journalists thrown in. Please go to dailymaverick.co.za forward slash insider to sign up and become part of the Maverick Insider community. And also remember to sign up to our Maverick Sports newsletter, which hits your inbox on a Monday and never miss another podcast by signing up via your favorite platform. I'm Craig Gray. Thanks so much for joining us this week.